Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of Heart of the Bookkeeper. Across our previous 27 episodes of this podcast, I have had the amazing opportunity to have a front row seat to hear the stories and the journeys of bookkeepers and people associated with bookkeeping right across Australia. We continued that journey today, but I want to tell you up front, I did not see this episode coming. Whatever you are doing right now, please consider turning off all other distractions and find a quiet corner and fully tune into the story of a Gold Coast bookkeeper with a story. Her name is Sandy Menzies. You too may possibly not fully take in what you are about to hear. When it comes to adversity, not too many people that I know have endured like Sandy has had to. And yet right now, as a mother of three boys that she is so proud of, as well as a grandparent to four with another one on the way, Sandy has indeed endured and is now the co-founder of one of the most successful bookkeeping franchises in Australia. All I can say is buckle in for the ride as the heart of this bookkeeper comes out fully in this episode. Enjoy. We're off to the Gold Coast in this uh, episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. I don't get to the Gold Coast very often, so to be able to do this sort of thing uh, in the form of a podcast, not quite the same as being there, I guess, but uh, looking forward to to chatting with our guest today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Welcome to our uh, our humble little podcast, Sandy Menzies. Thank you, Rob. It's um, a pleasure to be here, and I tell you, the weather isn't good today, so um, you came at the wrong time. Dan, yeah, I seem to be I seem to be picking that lately. We, uh, although uh, a recent trip to Cairns, which involved uh, being alongside yourself, the weather wasn't too bad there. I must admit, so I uh, certainly uh, haven't had all bad weather of recent times. But here in Western Australia, yeah, it's been a little bit dodgy lately, and we're looking forward to a bit of sun coming up. So, and I know you get plenty of that on the Gold Coast. But let's go back a ways. You're you've been in. Brisbane, uh, born in Brisbane and now find yourself on the Gold Coast. So clearly you're a Queensland girl through and through. What What is it about Queensland that keeps you keeps you there? Family, mainly. Yep. So family is, is something that is obviously very important to you. Yes, yes. Yes, family is very important to me. Um, my children have, well, two of them have, have moved away now, but I've still got one here. Um my youngest son, and um, my sister and my brothers moved. And so, every so yeah, it's just us left, basically. But I think I would like to live somebody somewhere else, but um, not for quite a while yet, not until I retire, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that irony? You know, most people will retire to the Gold Coast and you're looking to retire from the Gold <laughs> Coast. So, uh, <laughs> well, I'll give you the tip. You know, if you still like beaches, we're over here in Western Australia, especially the southwest of WA. I keep talking it up, but I reckon we've got some of the best in the world. But uh, I'll keep I'll keep talking that one up. Um, to live in Melbourne. You'd be like to, yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. Melbourne would yeah. be a, a different change from the Gold Coast, and certainly Melbourne um, has got plenty to offer. We got we're so lucky here in Australia. All our major cities have all got something unique, and then our regional areas have got something unique again. So that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is a, I am literally finding myself go all around Australia, even though it's 
not necessarily on Qantas. Uh, it's on the airwaves, but a different way. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up in Brisbane, we tend to ask this question uh, a bit on this particular podcast, but do you look back now and uh, we won't go into to how old you are because that's not an appropriate question to ask anyone, but let's go with uh, the 70s and 80s were your uh, younger years. Um, yes. what, uh, what sort of influences do you look back now? Was there business influences or whatever that may in- have led you to bookkeeping down the track? Um, from growing up, no, not at all. It wasn't... Um, it wasn't a great childhood and there are um, blocks of years that I don't specifically remember at all. I came back to live with my mum after living with my grandparents when I was 13. I think the best show that I ever watched was LA Law. Yes. And I loved, um, Oh, I think her name was Roxy and she was a paralegal. Roxy, to yes. One of the lawyers. And um, I thought that's what I want to do. So... That's what I did. <laughs> so I spent 16 years um, in a law firm straight out of um, high school. So it was law that caught your attention, obviously, early on in the piece. I'm going to call it now, and um, some of the listeners may or may not uh, uh, necessarily know where I'm going with this, but I've obviously spent a little bit of time with you recently and certainly got a little bit of understanding of your growing up years. You, you kind of quickly referenced that just then. They, they were tough. They weren't the easiest of years from what I understand. Um, do you want to delve a little bit more into to why that was and certainly your battle with um, thyroid cancer? When I was uh, four or five and my brother, my younger brother was two years younger than me, um, my mum was only 16 when she had me and she um, left us with um, my paternal grandparents um, to move back to the Gold Coast and find a place to live and then she came back for us, you know, a week later or whatever and um, my grandparents wouldn't give us back. And so a um, family court battle ensued after that um, I, I have to say this, but I was born in 1971 and that's when the Family Law Act um, came into Australia as a federal act, 1971. Before that, there was blame divorce or blame separation. Um, 1971, the Family Law Act was no blame um, divorce. So it takes a while for judges and the system to catch up with the new law. So um, basically we we were awarded to my paternal grandparents. My father was in the Merchant Navy, so he was never really home. Um, He was always out at sea. And basically we had to stay there until I was 13 and I said, I don't want to live here anymore. And so um, we were able to go back to my mum. When I was 11, um, I was sick all the time <laughs> I had a lot of tests and it turned out that I had um, thyroid cancer, so I had an operation at 11 um, to have my thyroid removed um, and then I had seven operations after that until I was 16 and then when I was 16 I had um, cancer in my lungs, kidney, kidneys and a liver um, and I had to have radioactive iodine, which is a drink, and I had to have a couple of those drinks where you have to stay in isolation, isolation wow. because you are highly radioactive. <laughs> wow. 
and then I was I was clear after that. So I was 19 when I was cancer-free. I can't even sort of start to imagine how that must have been. Your childhood days are supposed to be the best of your days and, um, mm. you know, clearly you had some really, really tough times there. Um, thyroid cancer, I, I didn't even know, you know, excuse my ignorance here, but I didn't even know you could get that at such a young age. Is that something in that you've come to understand a lot more and is it prevalent in younger people or? No, it's not. There was, there, at the time, there was only two girls in all of Australia and we were both in Brisbane that had thyroid cancer. Wow. Wow. Usually in older people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said that by the time you were 19, you, you'd had seven operations, I think it was. 16. Yeah. I had operations between um, 11 and 16 because um, it was just all in my neck. So I had a lot of lymph nodes removed um, and they just kept going over the same scars so you yep. can't see them. Yep. Um, yeah, and then I couldn't have the radioactive uh, – you're not allowed to have the radioactive iodine until you're over 16. So I turned 16 in late November and three weeks later I was in hospital having the radioactive iodine. And what sort of side effects does that have, if I can ask? Did it that um, make you feel unwell or how does that work? Well, according to the doctors, none. <laughs> uh, right. But um, when I was about when I was about twenty one, I just broke out in atopic eczema, which is like a baby eczema. Yeah. And it was literally all over my body. I was so itchy, um, and just couldn't stop. And um, hair fell out. My eyebrows fell out. There was a lot of other things. Um, then I went off the pill. I became pregnant, so I was very upset. And um, that didn't actually leave. It just basically it came on overnight. Within three weeks, I was just covered in eczema. Um, and then after my second child was born, I was probably 24, maybe. It just basically left as quickly as it came. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah, I'm try- uh, again, I'm just trying to, you know, take in, I'm sure many of the listeners are finding it's it's hard to comprehend what, what that must have meant, you know, for a, you're still a kid, you know, trying to deal with that. Did you do you look back now and go, you know, it showed obviously strength that you've now been able to call on at a later life perhaps or, yeah, because I only know you of recent times and, and you, you, can't, you are a very strong lady. That's, you know, that's one of the things that impacted on me when I first met you is uh, you're a very joyful lady, but you're also very strong and very determined. So, and I, I can't help but feel that maybe those traumas, if I can call them that, you know, steeled you for better things later in life. And yet, for most of us, you know, we look back and we go, "Well, the best of the years were the early years." And yet, for you, it was it, it has turned out somewhat different. I'm guessing. Definitely. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, there's. There's no alternatives. So what are you going to do? Like you just have to, yeah, you know, get over it. It's not. It's not easy while you're going through certain things, but you know, you just have to just keep going and just know that this isn't how it's going to be forever. And how did that uh, impact on your studies then uh, to become a lawyer? Did uh, that interrupt that, or by the time you sort of got into the the uni mode, a lot of that had dissipated? No, I didn't. I actually didn't go to uni. I went. I um, worked in a law firm as a paralegal, 
Right. And then I would, so it was um, mainly family law. I would get bored and then I'd do the bookkeeping. And then I'd beat the bookkeeper, I'd get bored, and I'd go back to paralegal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of living a bit of a split existence there, yeah, <laughs> split personality <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. It'll be ro- Roxy one day and Sandy the next perhaps. Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, fell, I fell into bookkeeping because I was working at a law firm and I had um, my first child, Ben, um, and then I went, I had six months off and then I went back to work part-time. <laughs> And um, I was on reception and um, like assistant bookkeeper, basically. Right. Yep. You, you said you'd returned to mum at some point. Has a relationship continued with mum since then? Yes. Or Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So from that perspective, and I'm not trying to make glib of this, but things did heal there and work out and come together, That which is which is, again, another part of anyone's journey that they want to have and that is a relationship with their with their mum and, and their dad, hopefully, if that, that can come about as well. So what do you now remember as being the point where you went, okay, I'm paralegal one day and I'm bookkeeper the next? When did it start to swing towards bookkeeper? And, and I'm going to bring into play, I also know that obviously the next part of a huge influence on you is your kids and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to circle to to Andrew in particular shortly, but yes. um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, your three kids in particular, and and uh, also got some grandkids on um, yes. both on the way and existing? Is that right? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. So um, Ben was born because um, basically I wasn't on the pill because of the eczema, so I was very very um, upset and I cried a lot because I really I really really wanted to go to Europe. <laughs> before I had children. Um, but anyway, so I found out about six weeks before my first wedding um, to my first husband and then um, Cameron came along about two years after that. Um, by then I was working part-time in the law firms. Um, my first husband was in the police force. So, um, you know, we just were working and and raising the kids and bought a couple of houses and, and that sort of thing. And then... Um, I um, we wanted to have another child, so um, Andrew was the only one that was planned, the youngest one. So he was born in two thousand and one. So he's twenty two at the moment, and um, he was when he was born. Um, it was very much a whirlwind. He was born six weeks preemie. Um, he had four holes in his heart. He had um, a missing vertebrae and a missing rib. He had hyperspadius, which is where your um, penis is fused to your scrotum, and um, and he turned out to be. We found out when he was four months old, he was um, born blind, so his retina never formed properly. So um, they, we were just back to the hospital all the time. He was in heart failure. He didn't have. He had open heart surgery when he was fourteen months old, and it was actually on my birthday. Oh, no, <laughs> <That> it was done. <laughs> But um, he didn't eat until he was 10 months old. I had to feed him through a nasal gastric tube um, right. with milk um, and just the medication through the nasal gastric tube as well. Um, and um, as soon as he had the heart operation and they closed the holes, um, he started to eat straight away as soon as he was out of recovery. Mm, fantastic. That was amazing. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, it doesn't happen too often on this podcast. I'm nearly speechless. I don't, I just, my, my heart just goes, mum and son have had more than most people could even imagine that could happen to them. You, how did, how did you deal with that? How, how did you deal with, at this point, were you still trying to do the, the work in the legal firm as well? Yes, I was still working um, in the legal firm. Where I was working at the time hadn't actually found anyone to replace me. Yeah. So I know that Andrew Andrew was in hospital still because he wasn't released, but they released me. And um, I had to go into the office to do the wages because no one else could do them. Um, and I remember, like, you know, um, the nursing pads that you wear and I was just like... In the office, in the in the office, and I'm leaking through the through the and <laughs> so that's still, why am I? Yeah, it was like given birth a week ago. I'm still. I had a Caesar, like an emergency Caesar, and I'm not supposed to even be driving, but there I was. Wow, <laughs> Sandy. And it was before internet banking, so like you had to go walk down to the 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 bank and pick up yeah. the tra- with all the different denominations and. Yeah. Put it in the pay packets. It was just like I remember just thinking, oh, <laughs> why am I doing this? So yeah, I didn't get any time off. From I think but, there's quite a few of us right now going, why were you doing that too? Yeah. It's uh, it, it does sound crazy, and yet yeah. I reckon again, many listening in couldn't recall times where we've done things for clients or for our business owners or whatever when. We probably, in hindsight, shouldn't have been because there were other more important things going on in our lives at the time. But that's kind of the heart of the bookkeeper in a lot of cases, Um, not necessarily a trait that we should uh, celebrate, but certainly is part of what what the commitment, I suppose, that a lot of people don't understand about bookkeepers. And in the case of payroll, you've got a lot of people relying on you at that point. Exactly. So you don't want to let them down. The uh, you, you have installed another memory in my mind of I had kind of almost forgotten about those countless days that we would have to go to the bank and get the exact amount of cash and it's, put it into the little yellow envelopes and it had all, for those who are under probably 35 right now, you wouldn't know about this, but you would actually effectively write the pay slip on the front of the yellow envelope. That was pretty much the pay slip. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, we used to do the, because the, we use the legal um, accounting software, which I don't think is around anymore, but um, the wages I used to do in the wages book that you bought from the news agent. News agency, yes, yeah, absolutely. I've got a few of those at home that I've kept for uh, just for posterity. (laughs) When when did you sort of reach a point where that wasn't manageable anymore and you started to think of other things? And I know you also bizarrely threw yourself into, and I'm guessing it's on the on the back end of of Andrew's situation that you started a Bachelor of Special Education majoring in vision impairment. Now, I didn't even, again, my ignorance, didn't even know such a thing existed. Do you want to explain a little bit about that one? Um, Once everything settled down with Andrew, because he was um, delayed in all of his milestones because, one, he he wouldn't eat. Um, So there was a lot of sensory problems um, that he didn't have anything wrong with him. We just had to getting caught up um, to where he should be as quickly as possible. So that took about three years. Yep. 
for him to to catch up, to be walking, to be speaking. Like when he first when he first stood up to walk, he literally would just do circles. He'd just walk wow. in circles because, and it, we were just like, so we had to go to the physiotherapist and the occupational therapist and the speech therapist. And so I took him to um, Brisbane. There was a school in Brisbane called Narbathon for the um, state school for the vision impaired and they would run um, preschool programs um, up there. So I used to take him up there five days a week to Stones Corner. So um, when asking them, what's he doing? It's like, well, he's got nothing to walk to, so you have to call him. Mm, <laughs> I was just like, Oof. well, man, that obvious. Uh, <laughs> that obvious. So we're calling him, Angel, over here, over here. Uh, <laughs> to start walking in a straight line. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, it's just the funny things I remember more than um, so, <laughs> so anyway, toilet training was another thing. But um, when all that settled down, I wanted to not be working in the law firm anymore. I really, I had learnt so much about vision impairment in those three years. I really thought um, that's what I should do. So um, I got into university, which I was very happy about. Had to sit the alternative exam because my TE score back then was really, really bad. <laughs> uh, I think for a fair still- reason, just quietly, you know, what you've been through in those years. <laughs> I was about to start uni in the February, so I was quitting work where I was working at the time in February. I was only working three days a week, and my husband and I split up two days after my birthday, the November before I was meant to start university. I seriously hope you've had some really, really good birthdays of late because <laughs> it sounds like you had some shockers early on, the really early doors there, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, that didn't that went really badly for a couple of years because he did have an affair, and I remember um, listening to Brooke on the Heart of the Book yes, and um, I remember her saying he turned on me, and I don't know why because I didn't do anything wrong. He did the wrong thing, and I thought to myself, that's exactly what happened to me, and I know why. It's because they can't handle the guilt, so they have to be angry with someone, and they can't be angry with themselves. So they're angry at you. So I went through very similar similar thing. Um, we still don't talk, he and I. Um, and, yeah, I started university in February and I was able to do it for 18 months. So, again, uh, this, is, uh, this, this episode is probably exposing my ignorance in a lot of things. Vision impairment. Yes. What's the outcome of, of that particular bachelor that you were doing? What is the outcome the ability to just work with the vision impaired or is it to do research into try and rectify vision impairment? How does that come out? No, so it's um it's um being able to be a primary school teacher. Right. Um, and majoring in vision impairment means that you would be working um with VI kids. Well, yes, but in a um, not a special school because they've got VI units attached to um, state schools, but there's a there's a big lack of them, and there was at the time, um, especially in Australia. So um, they were trying to source um, as many VI teachers as possible from the US and New Zealand, which they still couldn't get too many because you need to like just um, you can major in hearing impairment, you can major in intellectual impairment. And you can major in physical impairment as well. But um, for visual impairment, you'd have to be able to read and write Braille. So that was a prerequisite. 
Can you maybe tell us a little bit about Andrew now and what, what he's able to achieve? And I know well, we did speak about this uh, at an event I was at with you and you glow with pride when you talk about him and what he's doing now. Can you tell us all about where Andrew's at now? He is um, in his fourth year, about to finish his fourth year of a five and a half year double degree in law and psychology. Wow. And um, he lives at home, but I hardly ever see him and I don't really know what he's doing most of the time. Um, <laughs> does his own washing, does his own cooking, gets his own food, orders his own things. Um, yeah, organises himself under the NDIS, which has just been absolutely amazing for us because before the NDIS, everything was reliant on myself and there was no funding for anything. Yeah. So it was all just me <laughs> doing it. And um, it's been, yeah, the NDIS has been excellent, excellent for us. So it's given him complete independence. That is amazing. And I regularly ask uh, guests on Heart of the Bookkeeper to, to list people that have been influential in their life across their journey. And we, we haven't even really started to even talk about your bookkeeping journey yet, so we'll get to that. But I've yeah. got to call it out when I asked uh, Sandy in a little uh, questionnaire that I sent her what, you know, inspirational person in your life or persons she put in almost bold letters, Andrew, my son. Well, and um, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to – we might have to edit this bit because I'm starting to tear up a bit, to be honest with you. That is just – um, the most one of the most beautiful things I read. Um, what, what is it that inspires you about Andrew? And I think I already know the answer, but tell us anyway. He doesn't care what anyone thinks of him. Yeah. He just lives his life. Yeah. Lives his life for himself. You said that to me in Cairns and that just blew me away because and then I thought about it and thought that's because that's his life and yep. he he lives that life to the fullest, which is just incredible. So never met Andrew. I'm just full of admiration. He can't see people's disapproving looks. He can't see if he's dressed different to anybody else. He's not on social media. He's not on Instagram. There's no sense of not being exactly who he is. Yeah. If that makes sense. So that's how I look at it anyway when it comes to him. That more than makes sense. That that is yeah. that is very that is deep deeper than uh, I, I say this regularly. If you're listening to this and you can do it with podcasts, just rewind that little bit and have another listen to what Sandy just said. That is that is uh, um that's an amazing collection of understandings about somebody who can't even doesn't even know what I'm guessing a color is or you know what how to understand a color for right. a start. And you can't because it's because the color is not. Some people say that colors are feelings, but they're not. Yeah, they're feelings because you've attributed that color to a feeling. Yes. But if you want a color, you can't attribute it to anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is um this this episode is going in directions that um I'm gonna have to go and listen to it myself several times. I reckon to Stephen take in what you've said because it is it is amazing, Sandy. You also did list um. Uh, two other people, and we'll get to one of those in a moment because that is the start of a of a big conversation around your bookkeeping journey. And I have loved your openness already and sharing with us so openly. Um, thank you. Um, but you also listed Eric. What, now I'm probably going to get this wrong. Wine Mayer is it, oh, wine and wine and Mayer. Wine and Mayer. There we go. Yes. Now tell us about Eric. Uh, I've never met him. 
but I do follow him on Instagram. He um, lost all of his sight by the age of 13, so he had a degenerative um, eye disease, um, and he has now climbed the seven highest mountains in seven continents around the world um, and is a hiker, an ice mountain climber, um, and a primary school teacher. I just can't fathom that. I, I couldn't even climb the monkey bars at primary school without falling off. I mean, Mount <laughs> Everest twice, I believe. Wow. Yeah. That's just, that is crazy. So I read his book when Andrew was probably about two, and um, that's what shaped my vision of what I had to do with or for Andrew to get him to yeah. the place that he's at now. Yeah, what an inspiration. What an amazing person. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. Eric Weihenmeyer is yeah. how you say it. Uh, I might put it in the show notes because you can what, um, check his him out book. on social media or a book. or Yeah, his book is To Touch the Top of the World. Right. I've still got it because I read it every now and then. To Touch the Top of the World, right. Okay, that's definitely on my list to check out. I love a good book, book reference, as many who tune in regularly know. Um <laughs> Wow, yeah, and I'm just reflecting on uh, sometimes when I when I say things, I reflect afterwards. People probably have no idea what I was just talking about. I don't even know if they know or do they have monkey bars in um, in Queensland? Do you know what the monkey bars yeah. are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I, I reckon that might be yeah. a 1980s thing. <laughs> the monkey bars. Yeah. <laughs> um, let Let's move into. I, I could I could talk about Andrew, and and of course you're. I know you'd light up just as quickly when we talk about your other two boys as well and uh, now your grandkids. So I'm so pleased, Sandy, that you've landed in a space where you can enjoy family, having had obviously some real trauma in respect to that early in your life. But when when you were doing the vision impairment uh, bachelor um, stuff, if I can put it that way, it, it just... <laughs> It all collided with some things that just were, as you're, in your words, I think you said to me, it just became very messy and it just couldn't continue. So is that when you went, ah, maybe the bookkeeping thing is my, my go? Well, I don't think I actually thought about it too much except my eldest at the time was 13 and had just started high school and he was starting to get into trouble at high school. But I just wasn't around that much. I was taking Andrew to Brisbane five days a week. I was dropping them off at before school care at 6am. Traffic was bad on the highway. It's an hour, hour and a half um, to Brisbane. Some of my lectures started at 8 o'clock in the morning, so I was taking Andrew with me to, to, yeah. to the lectures um, and um, not getting home until, you know, after five sometimes. So then I'd be picking them up from after school care and um, all the rest of it. So it wasn't... It wasn't great for them, and I remember thinking, "I I can't do this anymore. I have to put the kids first. And um, it's not good, not good for them, especially, you know, in the beginning of the teenage years, where you need to be there more and make sure that they do their homework and doing things properly, and getting enough sleep." So um, I remember a vet was in hospital. She just had um, an operation on her ankle. She broke her ankle. And um, she was talking about, oh, I'm thinking about um, I need to go back to work, but I don't want to go back because we worked in the same law firm and that's how we met. And she said, I don't want to go back to law because she'd had a child. And um, she said, I'm thinking about doing a bookkeeping course and starting a bookkeeping business. 
And I just thought, oh, that's something to think about. <laughs> so, yeah, we we um, talked about it together and started Shoebox. It's just, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how, look, there hasn't been too many guests so far that we've had across the journey that are probably in my shoes, I, I've shared this way too many times that people want to get, get bored about it. But I, I kind of look back now and I go, I think I was just born to be a bookkeeper. I, you know, <laughs> was kind of bookkeeping at the age of seven or eight and treasurer of the local hockey club at uh, about uh, the age of 12, I think it was, and that sort of thing. So for me, it's been a natural journey. But for so many, and, and you're literally telling me you, you kind of started a bookkeeping business in a hospital room talking to a, <laughs> a friend you worked with who had a broken ankle. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> wow. Exactly. So Yvette. So Yvette is is um, the, the third person you've listed as as being one of the most influential or inspirational people. So when yes. you were working together, did you kind of have a close relationship or was it at the broken ankle point <laughs> that you kind of developed that, <laughs> that connection? No, um, we actually, <laughs> I don't know if I should be telling you this, but I, I won't tell you where I was working, but where we were working. Um, yep. But we actually had a boss that was, um, had his um, fiance come and um, start working in the firm. So before that, it was just basically the three or four of us. And then somebody else came into the mix. And then all of a sudden, um, I was being bullied. Yeah. Um, by them, basically, or not a vet. And then they turned on a vet and they wanted to start to, like bullying a vet and they wanted me to be involved. And I was just like, two wrongs don't make a right. So I'm not being involved in anything like that because I'm very, yep. um, I'm very much like that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and so that's when a vet and I um, knew that we could trust each other, basically. Now I because have. Because we all drew yes. that opposite. Politics type thing. Now I have I have now tuned into the next phases. I think I have, so I'm, I'm preempting stuff that you can tell us about. But if you, for listeners who aren't aware, Yvette and and Sandy have their own podcast called The Number Crunches, or they regularly are on that particular podcast. I um, I had a bit of a joke with them in Cairns recently at an event. I said there was one whole episode and everybody can go and listen to it where they just <laughs> literally laugh through the whole episode. They were having yeah. that much fun. <laughs> but part of it is recollecting the early days of Shoebox. Um, $2,500 to kick it off, I think is the yep. story I remember. Yes. And a lot and a, and a lost credit card or something yes. along those sort of lines. Do you want to I tell the listeners yeah. about how it all kicked off? I took $2,500 $2, out of a home loan. <laughs> a vet couldn't, couldn't afford to give me um, half of it, so she started paying it off at like $60 a fortnight. <laughs> Uh, and then I went, so I, we opened the bank account. It was the partnership. We had a partnership. Opened the bank account, the um, cards, and then the pin would come a few days later into the mailbox. Um, while I was away, it, they were both stolen and $2,000 was cleared out of the account. Oh, no. Cash. So Yvette rings me. I'm away down in Coffs Harbour and she rings me and says, have you taken the money out of the bank for some reason? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> someone had taken it out of the bank. So 
Yeah. Not a good start. No, Not a good start. Can, I mean, I think a lot of, I, I don't think we have to go too far back, but a lot of people have forgotten. I mean, we have so much of a focus these days. It's constantly talked about cybersecurity, yep. online banking security, all the yep. things that we're talking about, the rise and rise of AI and all this sort of stuff. But it wasn't that long ago the bank used to send you a pin <laughs> on a, in an envelope to your yep. mailbox. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Two days after they sent the actual card. <laughs> the card. So when you look back, you go, "What the? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable." But yeah, that's what they bad. did. Yeah, I suppose you still had to have the little, you know, five cent piece to scratch it out to get yes, it. But yes. I mean, that that was a <laughs> high form of security back then. Well, uh, <laughs> so okay, the the money's gone. Um, oh, was there a moment where you went, well, oh, maybe this is a sign and we shouldn't do this or did you plough on anyway? No, plough on anyway. Just rang the bank. I had to prove that I wasn't actually there um, on the Gold Coast. So yeah. luckily I had those receipts kept from um, Coffs Harbour and, um, and that. So I had to give that to the bank and then I think it was about six weeks later the money, they put the money back into our account. So they've got the insurance for that. So that was good and we kept going. Yeah. So on, on over the probably the last year or so of, of this particular podcast, what I haven't sort of done it deliberately, but it's kind of worked out. We've had guests that then position their bookkeeping in different ways, and we celebrate all of them. Um, we've got the the person, you know, we've had a guest recently who was just has has stayed true to just being a sole trader and just yep. is very happy in that space, has no desire to go anywhere beyond that. We've had guests who've gone into partnership with friends or or whatever. We've had guests who have partnered with accounting firms. We've had guests who have really expanded their bookkeeping practice and grown it dramatically. Um, we've had guests who've, who are offshoring. Um, in your case, you took a slightly different approach again. And um, do you want to explain the, the shoebox model that developed and how that developed? So um, the idea was born from a solicitor that I used to work for um, who would do a fixed price consultation regardless of how long it took. It was something, It was I think it was $100 um, at the time and um, – it was very, very easy to sell that over the phone to anyone ringing um, and wanting to make an appointment and then they'd ask how much it's $100 for initial consultation and it doesn't matter how long it takes. So it might take half an hour, it might take an hour and a half. So it's just a flat fee of $100. Um, that was back in, oh, would have been 1990, 1992. Wow. <laughs> so before GST. So yeah. The idea for the bookkeeping business was that we would do the same thing where it was just a flat fee. It's very easy to be able to sell just a flat fee. Um, doesn't it shouldn't matter to you whether it takes me an hour or it takes me two hours to do. This is the cost. Yeah. For for what we said that we would do. So when we first started, we started um, very low pricing. I think it was a hundred and eighty dollars a quarter. Gee. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you survive on that? <laughs> that was 2007, I think. <laughs> well, it didn't take very long for us to realise that that was not going to be okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> and we used, to bill, we used to bill every quarter as well, so it didn't take too long to realise that that's not going to apply <laughs> either. Uh, so 
I remember when we first started, I don't know if, I think I told you this story. We went to an ICB meeting at Narang because I joined ICB, uh, would have been at the same time, 2000. Mm, very early days of ICB. Yeah. yeah, it was very early. And um, we um, went to a, a meeting at Narang and we were new there and they asked us about the business and yada, yada, we're, do, we're doing fixed price packages. Oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, we can. No, you can't do that. You're, nev- you're never going to survive. It's not going to work. Hey, how do you know how long things are going to take? And blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we, and <laughs> I was remembering because a vet's not the booking for a vet sales. So we came came outside and she's like, oh my God, Sandy, this is not going to work. Do you really think this is going to work? Do you really think this is going to work? Should we change it? And I'm like, no, this is going to work. It will. I'm telling you, it's going to work. And yeah, obviously. And the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. We, a few things that we had to to fix, <laughs> but the concept remained true. So now, is the term licensee is yeah. that the term you use, or for no. those who are part who then started to work with you in shoebox? What's the term you use? Um, the term is franchise owner or right, franchisee. Yep. So yep. it's very different to a licensee. A licensee um, can use your system, so you sell them your systems, but they don't use your name. Right. So you're still trading under your own yep. name, whereas our franchisees trade under the name of Shoebox. Shoebox, yes. Do you remember who, who was your first uh, franchise owner? Yes, I do. Kathy McGow, Gold Coast Central. Yep. Um, her son-in-law was the solicitor that did our franchise agreement. Uh-huh. So um, she purchased the first franchise before the franchise agreements were even finished. <laughs> wow, that's off to a good start. <laughs> yes, and she's just re-signed a 10-year term, I think it was last year. So how long for her now? What, 11, what year was that? 11 years. 11 years. So she yeah. she potentially yeah. is going to be a a 21-year yeah. journey with you guys, which yeah. is, that is, that is exceptional. That is <laughs> exceptional. Now, I did get to meet a lot of your franchise owners at a, a recent event and there are, there's some amazing people there. Um do you remember winding back? I like to wind people's memory back. So when, um, I'm sorry, what was her name again? What's the Kathy? Uh, Kathy. Kathy. When Kathy kind of signed on the dotted line, yes. and was there kind of like you know um, after that high fives with the vet and bubbles and yes. and celebrations? Yes. Yeah, we're probably, away. We probably did that with the first maybe five or six, right? And then I don't know what happened. I think we we're just too busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop. Well, once you've got five or six, you're going to be busy, I reckon. Yeah. And tell, tell us now, how many franchise owners do you have around Australia now? Um, we have 63 locations wow. at the moment, but um, we've got some franchise owners that have um, two territories and some with three. So explain territories. How does that work? So a territory is um, where you're able to actively market within. Right. So we do have, we're not um, like other franchise brands where if there's no franchise owner in the territory where a client's calling from, we just say, no, sorry, we can't help you. We'll actually just allocate them to the closest person um, next to them. And then as part of the this ongoing evolution that you've been on, you've now got You've now ventured into tax as well. Have I got that correct? Do you want to tell us a bit about how that came about? We started the um, shoebox tax as a public uh, practice 
to be able to service our franchisees' clients. Yes. Um, that we found that there's a lot of, not everyone, but there's a lot of tax agents and accountants out there that will um, actively go after the bookkeeping of the clients. And we've even had some tax agents say, well, you, ca- oh, you can't use my tax agent services unless I do your bookkeeping as well. So, um, n- and not all of them do that. A lot of them will work cooperatively, cooperatively with a bookkeeper. So we started that for our franchisees' clients, um, and that went really well. Um, and then we decided that the time was right to expand into um, tax supervision for those that wanted to upskill to become tax agents. So our first three that joined the tax agent program were existing bookkeepers mm-hmm. um, that had a bookkeeping practice. And then they only had, so some of them might have a diploma or they've got um, a Bachelor of Commerce or Accounting or any of those types types of things. Um, And they only had to do maybe um, two tax law units to be able to then become a tax agent with the supervision. Right. So it's those those people that um, upgraded to tax. And they've all been signed off now to become their to be the a tax agent in their own right. So, is that the long term vision of of Shoebox to stay, you know, involved with those who want to be bookkeepers and those who want to do tax? And there might be those who want to do tax and bookkeeping. I'm, I'm guessing. Yes. Um, and from what I witnessed at a recent event, and I, I should explain to the listeners, um, uh, Shoebox recently had their conference in Cairns. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked to go and be a speaker at that event, which I enjoyed immensely. And then, wow, do they know how to throw a party? They had a party <laughs> afterwards. It was uh, Hollywood Glitz, I think, was the theme. Is that a Hollywood Glam or Glitz? Hollywood okay. Glam, yeah. Glam, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yep. um, uh, we went along and uh, they had an award session and everybody was just having a lot of fun, but uh, clearly – some great energy and synergy between those who are doing the tax and those who are doing the bookkeeping, which is really pleasing to see. Yes, very much so. Very much so. When uh, when you reflect back now, do you kind of feel as though you've got to the mountaintop now with what you've you set out to achieve, or or is there a lot more still there for you to do? Do you think? No, there's there's one more element that we're adding. <laughs> to Shoebox and that's uh, Shoebox Education, it's called. Oh, wow. Okay. um, It's an RTO. Yes. We will be offering Certificate 4 in Accounting and Bookkeeping, Bass Agent Skill Set, Diploma of Accounting, Tax Agent Skill Set and the Tax Law uh, subjects as well. So that application went in in May, so I've been busy working (laughs) in the background, putting the, that together for the application to ASQA. And um, we're hoping that it will be audited. The first audit will happen and we'll um, achieve registration in November. That is incredible. Uh, where do you and Yvette get your energy from to be able to <laughs> do all that? It's incredible. I, I, I guess that probably calls out, again, for the listeners, uh, I do have a little bit of a, a mini questionnaire that I get uh, our guests to fill out. It's not very – I prefer to make sure that we just talk and um, make sure it goes where it goes. But I did ask the question of Sandy, other other areas of your life other than bookkeeping that you uh, would like to tell us about. And um, 
her response, and I now understand why, her response was simply, women can do anything. And <laughs> I think that's what we're hearing in this episode. Uh, well, two women in particular yes. that, that I know, Yvette and yourself, yes. you're clearly committed to, to, to what you're doing and, and your energy is amazing. Yes. So thank you. I feel tired all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprised. Not surprised. Uh, I did did note that uh, whilst everyone else was rocking and rolling at the event in Cairns uh, uh, at Hollywood Glam, you and Yvette were just almost sitting back as if to say, thank goodness uh, that's... That's nearly done with, yeah. <laughs> the champagne was uh, being enjoyed greatly, I yes. reckon. <laughs> well, I'd love to speak for hours and hours more. I can't not finish, though, with uh, a little section that I call the subsidiary ledger. So it's uh, all based around the concept of bookkeeping where we tangent off onto other things other than perhaps what we've been focused on in this episode. And yet we all know as good bookkeepers, it's still important to have a subsidiary ledger that balances. I say that nearly every episode, I reckon, so I probably need to come up with a different line. I just want to share something quick with you. That yeah, go for it, yeah. Spoke though, <laughs> is that I'm actually um, dyslexic when it comes to numbers. <laughs> Oh, look, that that kind of almost uh, rounds out the episode beautifully. <laughs> I, st- I cannot tell the difference between debit and credit or right and left. Like, like even when I'm driving, I'm going to put my right hand up and shake it to go, okay, that's, I write with that hand, so that's the right. <laughs> I, or it always takes me 30 seconds to catch up. Hey, look, I've got to give you the tip. I, I don't think I am dyslexic, but I, I've always reckoned with journal entries, you've got a 50-50 chance of getting it right, you know, with the debit and the credit. So if it doesn't come out, you just flip it around. But just saying, uh, that's probably uh, not a great um, approach to best practice bookkeeping. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, your openness has been amazing in this episode. But uh, let's get to the subsidiary ledger. Now, I did reach out to um, get a friend to ask a question here, and it's a friend that you've only just kind of made and you only made it for about two hours and that's my wife. She immensely <laughs> enjoyed her time sitting with you at, at uh, the recent Hollywood Glam, which just quietly, she's right into Hollywood Glam. She loved that. <laughs> um, so um, I asked her to come up with the uh, the first question in our subsidiary ledger and she came up with, uh, with everything that's happened in your life, which you sort of shared with her that night, some of it. Um, What's your motto in life? Do you have a motto in life? Oh, wow. Motto. Tough question, really. It yeah. is. It is. Motto. I, I, I think you kind of nailed it earlier with what you said about Andrew, to be honest with you, about the fact that he lives his life to the fullest because it's his life. So yeah. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but that, <laughs> I, 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 I've captured that one because I think that one's really impactful. So maybe we'll run with that one. If you're going to do it, do it properly. There you go. Beautiful. How's that? All right, we'll go with that. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Running a business or being an employee, just do it. Yep. That's it. Just do it. Yep, okay. Somebody else might have used just do it, I think, but um, (laughs) we'll go with that. Probably trademark (laughs) one. Uh, I haven't done this before, but I did um, get my wife to really think on this one and she did because I wouldn't have come up with that question, which is a great question, but she's come up with another one as well. What advice, given all the adversary you have had in your life, what advice would you give to people who are going through, you know, 
adversary right now? Have you got any advice for them? Um, mm-hmm. Stick to who you are. Yeah. Stay, yeah. stay true to who you are and just believe that if you want to get through it, you'll get through it. Yeah, I like that too. I like that a lot and never, never to compare what you've been through. If you want to get through it, you'll get through it. If you don't want to get through it, you won't get through it. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, there's a lot in that. Um, as I said, not to compare, but obviously we had a little bit of adversary in our life back in uh, in, a, in a time when we lost our son, and and I, I think you're you're right. Now I look through, look back, and I you know I think we both willed ourselves to get through it. You know, we just knew there were and there were other reasons for why we needed to get through it. Um, whether you ever fully get through it is probably the big question, which I don't think you ever do, but you find a way to, to get get to yeah. the next place, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and, and you can't you can't unknow what you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you won't, yeah. yeah. And again, circling back to Andrew, he knows what he knows because that's his life. And I, I can't yeah. help but not reflect on what you said there and, and the, the depth of that. All right, last two questions. We might get the, Jackie sent me a little bit deep there, but uh, in those first two, so let's go to slightly uh, less deep. Um, the the theme of the um, the conference, not the conference, but the the conference event was Hollywood glam. I think I've got that right, yes. haven't I? Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was yes. Hollywood glam or Hollywood glitz. Either way, it's spectacular for the listeners. Um, you know, there was a red carpet. You walked down. There was. Um, photo booths that you could go into that did amazing things and all sorts of stuff. Um, so being Hollywood glam, give us a, you've gave, given us a book that is a fave of yours. What about a movie? What's a favourite movie of Sandy Menzies? Do you know, I watched it again the other night, Working Girl with Melanie Griffith. Whoa, gee, you're going back <laughs> a few years there. Or, I think that movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Working girl. Okay. Yeah, excellent. Yep. Very good. Yep. And all right, let's go with our last one. And this was this is where we started. Um, you know, taking me on a journey to the Gold Coast, even though I'm not physically there. What's a recommendation of a must visit on the Gold Coast? Tell us about something in your local area that you go, if you come here, I mean we all know Dream World and Movie World and all the worlds that are there. What's something that perhaps a lot of people don't know about that you could recommend? Anything come to mind? Um, Burley. Burley is absolutely beautiful. I love Burley. So Burley is a beach? Is that what it is? Yep. Burley is um, a beach. Um, wow, there's, there's so many gems on the Gold Coast. I think... And I feel um, like I forever. I don't go and see them anymore, but... yeah. Uh, and it is a strange thing. I mean, I've had friends come and stay with us here in in regional WA down uh, in the south part, uh, the southwest where we are, and we'll say, oh, you know, take us on a tour of all the local attractions. And sometimes I have to think, well, what are they? Yeah. But when I, you know, but when we do go, people really appreciate it. But I, I suppose sometimes we don't appreciate our own area in some instances as much as what others do. So. But I, I, I don't think there's any issue somehow in people knowing that the Gold Coast is a place you want to go because it's just, it is something special. And if you've never been there, you just need to go there at least once in your life. It's something uh, pretty amazing. Yes. So, yes. Sandy, we are going to wrap this up, sadly. Um, it's been a, 
uh, well, one of the one of the most amazing episodes I've I've had the pleasure of Thank being you. able to um, to 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 go along. Sometimes uh, very hard to hear. Um, and but I I do genuinely thank you for your um, your openness in this episode, and I hope in some way that 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 um, especially telling the story of your sons, and and I know how proud you are of all your sons, but in particular, obviously Andrew and and what he's had to battle and where he's at now um, is inspirational mm-hmm. to to many people. And uh, I've never met him, as I said before, but uh, can you please? Um, Please pass on our our best from this podcast to Andrew and what he's achieving and what he's doing, and I hope he does get a chance to listen to Mum because he should be proud of what you've done. Um, what what I've come to know of you guys, um, as in Shoebox, and what you're achieving is exceptional. And congratulations to you and Yvette and what you're Thank doing, you. and hopefully yes. there's many many years of of great innovation still to come. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for inviting me on. The pleasure's been all ours. Thanks, Sandy. Cheers. Thank you. Sandy, as I complete this episode, I still remain almost stunned at what we have just heard. Thank you for being so willing to share this with us. I feel truly honoured to have been given the opportunity to play a part in sharing your story and also that of your truly incredible son, Andrew. We wish you and Yvette all the best of successes as Shoebox Bookkeeping and Tax continues to grow and spread its wings across this wide land of ours. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today on Heart of the Bookkeeper. Please join us again soon and please also rate us in the app that you are tuning into today. My name is Rob Marshall. This podcast is Heart of the Bookkeeper and we love your heart.